It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's To the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and it's the Qinator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the weekend mailbag. So for that, as always, joined by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, buddy? Ah, uh, you know, just uh, keeping going, riding out this pandemic, playing my video games, watching all types of movies, keeping myself inside. Going a little stir crazy, but you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. We got to talk a lot of TV with our buddy Axel over at the Daily DVR. That podcast is up, so if you want to give it a listen, go ahead. I highly recommend it. We had a lot of fun talking about some of our favorite shows. And, of course, we'll talk a little TV on the mailbags because some people had some questions. As always, we took your questions on pretty much anything, so as long as it was a fun topic, we're more than happy to answer about it. Chris, before we get into the questions, though, I wanted to talk about this. I had teased this on Twitter a little bit. There was a bit in Rich Simini's recent column about the Jamal Adams standoff that involved Van Jefferson and Sean Jefferson. And so I had a little bit of information I'd been holding on to. I was told not to say anything, but I think now that Rich Simini went out and reported it, I can say whatever I want within reason. I'm not going to name who told me this or anything like that. But before we get into this, Chris... You can confirm that a day or two before the draft, I shared this information with you, so I'm not just making this up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I, I do confirm you're not just making this up. I can't confirm everything else that comes out of your mouth hasn't been made up, but this <laughs> I can confirm has not been made up. You also can't confirm that the information is legitimate. You could just confirm that I told you about it a day or two before the draft. So I don't want people to think, oh, my God, Chris Nimbley is reporting this. But essentially what I was told from somebody who was in the building for the entire season on a daily basis and had knowledge of the situation was this was a day or two before the draft, and then I immediately shared the information with Chris without saying who told me. I was told by this person, I believe the exact words were something along the lines of, I guarantee you if Van Jefferson is on the board when the Jets pick in the third round, they're going to take him. I followed up by asking why. He said that Sean Jefferson would never stop talking about Van, even had a cut-up, a video cut-up of him made up at the end of the season, And he said he had no doubt that Jefferson was in the ear of Gase and in the ear of Joe Douglas pushing for this. Seemed like it was the worst kept secret in the building that Sean Jefferson wanted his son on the team. So I'm saying this now because Rich Semini said in his column about a week or two ago, and I'm going to read it verbatim. The second round of the draft created mixed emotions for receivers coach Sean Jefferson. 
the Jets selected wide receiver Denzel Mims with the 59th pick. For a few fleeting moments in the Jefferson household, there was hope the pick would be Sean's son, Van, a well-regarded wideout who went to the Rams at number 57. My son was like, hey, Dad, I hope I can become a Jet. Would love to play for you. He was excited, Sean said. He really wanted to come and play for the Jets. As it started ticking down, we got a phone call, and I was like, oh, man. But at the same time, even though I was sad, I was happy for him because he put in all this hard work, and his childhood dream came to fruition. Sean Jefferson laughed. The thing I'm most happy about is I don't have to take care of him anymore. He can take care of his own self. I would think that he probably can with the money that he's going to get from that second-round contract. But, Chris, with that and the information that I got a day or two before the draft, I'm pretty confident that when the Jets traded down, Van Jefferson was probably the guy that they were intending on taking. And it makes sense because a lot of people thought that he was going to go in the back part of that second round, early part of the third. So by trading down, they get the extra assets and they probably pick up Van Jefferson too. When it didn't happen, they went and got Denzel Mims. Now, we don't know for sure. It's possible that they had Mims over Jefferson and they just felt, hey, we'll trade down and if we get one of the two, whatever. But I think based on what Sean Jefferson was saying and based on what I heard, that it's likely that the Jets were gearing up to take Van Jefferson at 59. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's a safe uh, assumption to make. Uh, based on the information we have, what I know for a fact is that it wasn't just John Jefferson that really liked Van Jefferson, mm-hmm. that, that he he would have been, you know, right there around uh, the Mims uh, ranking, whether Sean Jefferson was on the coaching staff or not. They really did like it, uh, like him. I don't know if they had him ranked ahead of Mims or if they thought trade down. Mims will probably be gone, and then we can get Van Jefferson. Uh, I, you know, just going off how we all expected the receivers to go, um, and I, you know, we talked about Van Jefferson leading up to the draft a lot, uh, and I love Van Jefferson, but I still didn't think that he was going to be gone in the second. Uh, I, I thought he would still be around in the third, just based on all the other uh, wide receivers, the Rams went and made the pick and once they made the pick I was I wasn't surprised at all like it was like Van Jeff oh okay the ramp that makes a lot of sense just because I thought Jefferson would fall farther just because of his athletic profile but the Rams would be a team that would say you know athletic profile would be damn this kid is way too good of a clean route runner for us to pass up um so you know I'd I'd my guess would still be that Mims was rated higher than Jefferson, but there's no, there's, I'll just say this. There's no doubt in my mind that if Van Jefferson wasn't taken, uh, that the Jets would have been content in taking Jefferson right there. Uh, if Mims was off the board, then they would have been content there. Now I don't, I have no idea if they would have taken Mims or Jefferson, if there was both of them available, but I know they would have been content taking Jefferson in the second there. And they would have gotten a, a hell of a receiver. GS, not quite the athletic uh, profile that Mims has. It's interesting because I think Mims is younger and has more upside, but he slid. Meanwhile, Jefferson ended up going a little bit higher than most people thought he would. And Paul Eston Jr. Boy Green asked in the mailbag as a follow-up to this whole topic, will the Jets ultimately regret 
not staying at their spot at 48 and taking Van Jefferson rather than trading back and ending up with Denzel Mims. I don't think they will because I'm a big believer in Denzel Mims. And as you said, I think he has a lot more upside than Jefferson. Jefferson's a guy, and we talked about this a lot before the draft, Chris, especially with Clayton Smarslock, who knows him very well because he's a Florida fan, so he follows Florida very closely. He's somebody that's very polished, but I don't know that there's much beyond what he's already capable of that he can do. He's not an exceptional athlete. He's somebody that runs really good crisp routes. And he's somebody that could come in and clearly make an immediate impact in the passing game. The question, of course, is by the time he gets done with his first contract, you're looking at a Marcus May type situation where he'll be 28 years old, whereas with Mims, he'd still be younger. And even though he's a really crisp route runner, he's not super fast. He's not super big. He's not a guy that can win jump balls like Denzel Mims can. And he certainly doesn't have the upside. So you're limited to what he's going to become. I don't think they're going to regret it, though, because I do think that Denzel Mims is going to become a really, really good receiver. I think Van Jefferson may be the better player this year, but over the long run, I think the Jets are going to be very happy that they drafted Denzel Mims. Yeah, well, you know, this is one of these funny things, because I think that for especially with uh, no minicamps, and the crazy training camp we're about to have, no preseason. I think that Van Jefferson would have been uh, a better uh, option for this team for this year. Um, just because of uh, his route running and his ability to get open with that, I think that that would be able to win more right off the bat. But going forward, uh, I'd, I'd rather have Mims. I had Mims rated a, a, a higher than him, so I, I – there's, that's a no-brainer there, and as I often point out, because people always want to look at the draft about what teams need for that coming year. You don't want to draft a, a player for that year. You want to draft them for four or five years and get the best one, uh, you know, throughout that time. So, why I do think that Van Jefferson probably would have been an, uh, more uh, opportunity uh, have more opportunity to succeed in this year. It is. Uh, the upside of Denzel Mims is definitely superior, but you know, it, it would have been, it would have been fun to uh, cover uh, Van Jefferson uh, playing for his, his father, especially if there wasn't the pandemic got to talk to Sean, get to talk to him about it. Cause you, you get to see some uh, interesting stuff when you see uh, coaches coach their son and just uh, the pride and the ability that they get coaches don't get to, you know, they, Spend a lot of time working. They don't always have the time with their uh, their kids, so they get the bond, and you can see how excited it makes them. But it's definitely interesting that way. I would have loved to have seen it. Don't get me wrong; I would have taken Denzel Mims over Van Jefferson. But if Van Jefferson had been there in the third round, imagine if they would have gotten Mims and Jefferson. That would have been a real help to Sam Darnold, not just this year, but over the length of his rookie deal, and then hopefully many years beyond that. I think we both agree that one of the mistakes that the Jets probably made in the draft was not picking a second wide receiver, but unfortunately, Jefferson wasn't available at 59, and he wasn't going to be available at 68, so it depends on what you think of the other receivers in the draft. Interesting, though, how this could have turned out. With that, Chris, let's jump into the mailbag 
And we'll start with Michael Megan, one of our guys over at TurnOnTheJets.com. He says, the ownership view of Gase and the fans' view of Gase is obviously very different, but doesn't he feel like a lame duck that we're waiting to see fired? Do you think that's in the players' minds heading into the season? I don't know that it's in the players' minds heading into the season. I'm sure they're aware of the fact that Gase might be on the hot seat if things don't go well early on. And I'm sure there's a contingent of players, you've heard Manish talk about this and you've talked about it too, Chris, that aren't really keen on Adam Gase. Jamal Adams certainly being one of them. And we'll talk about Jamal Adams in a bit as well. But I think it'll really start to creep into the locker room if the Jets start off 0-3, 0-4, and the press starts asking the question. That's when you're really going to start to see the players think that Gase is a lame duck. For now, I think they're just focused on trying to get back to camp, trying to figure out what to do with this season, which is obviously going to be a weird season for a variety of reasons. I don't know that that's first and foremost on their thoughts, but I'm sure somewhere in there they're thinking about Gase and how volatile his tenure could be if things don't go well early on. Yeah, I, the concept of a lame duck coach is really like a media creation, and I, I get it from media and fans' point of view, but players don't spend much time thinking about that. Even towards the end of a season, they're not really going to spend much time thinking about it. Uh, you know, maybe they'll sit there and when they're they're just uh, BSing with each other, they might say something. But they uh, these players don't. First off, they can put things out of their mind very quickly. They don't like to uh, think about things that they can't control. Um, and this this is one of the instances where when you go to players and they give you like these canned speeches where it's mostly true. They're, they're mostly not worried about it. They're not, it's not going to affect them play. You know, if, if they start losing and things go bad, then it'll feel like a season loss and they can kind of check out a little bit there, but it's not because they're checking out like, Oh, our coach is going to get fired. Cause, and again, I, I point this out all the time. Um, when people want to accuse players of quitting or, uh, you know, checking out on a season, it, it doesn't matter that the season's lost because they still have to go out there and play the game and that tape is still getting put out. And that tape is still going to be evaluated by the next coach and it's going to be evaluated by the next team that might be looking for you. So these players can't afford to really sit there and think about that. Uh, I absolutely agree with the idea that, from a fan and media perspective that Gates is kind of a lame duck coach right now, unless he he has a great season, but it's just not going to impact the players at all. Um, You know, this is one of those things where it, it could impact it in free agency type stuff and players wanting to sign with the team, but it's, it's not going to affect them getting ready for games. They're not going to, uh, spend less time preparing because they think Gates will be fired at the end of the season. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. 
They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Brian Gowiski. He says, I understand that the Patriots are going to win the division for the 80th straight year, but why does it seem that everyone expects the Patriots' defense to be dominant again? They lost key pieces, and there's always regression. I'm not sure the D alone can carry them. Well, first of all, they have the greatest defensive mind in the history of professional football, Bill Belichick. That's A. Second of all, they have the best defensive player in the league, Stefan Gilmore. That's B. Third of all, I'm very confident that by having the best player on defense in the entire league and having the smartest mind and having some new blood in there to go with some of the holdovers, the Patriots are going to have a very good defense, and they didn't lose that many great pieces. Remember, Jamie Collins played very well for the Patriots, but when he left and went to the Browns, he wasn't really that great. Kyle Vannoy, another salvage project. He was a bit of a disappointment after being a first-round pick, went to the Pats, did very well, and there were other pieces they lost, but... They have enough of the core. They have Bill Belichick. I think that they're still going to be a top five-ish defense. And we've talked about this, Chris. A lot of this depends on what happens at the quarterback position. You and I haven't talked about this together, although I did address this while I was waiting for you on the mailbag last week when you were running a little late dialing in. Cam Newton coming in helps a little bit just in the sense that if nothing else, even if Cam isn't quite what he used to be, he gives Jarrett Stidham a measuring stick. So if Cam Newton beats out Stidham, then the Patriots have a viable option for 2020, and then they figure out what they're going to do after that. If Stidham wins the job and he beats out Newton, then you know that Stidham is good to go, and the Patriots are gearing up for not only this year, but perhaps several years after that. And they have enough pieces overall that I think that 
the offense won't be great, but it'll be passable. And the defense maybe lost some guys, but they're still going to be one of the better defenses in the league. And the Jets and the Dolphins are still not very good teams, even though the Dolphins are on the rise a little bit. So they'll have an easy time there. And so I think that the Patriots are going to be a very good team. I still think that it's hilarious that there were people that think that signing Cam Newton somehow means that the Patriots screwed themselves out of Trevor Lawrence for two reasons. Number one, Cam Newton isn't the Cam Newton from the glory years. He's actually been pretty bad the last couple of years because of how hurt he's been when he's played. And the second thing is the Patriots were never, ever going to be anywhere near bad enough to get Trevor Lawrence. And if they wanted to trade up, if the team at number one was even willing to trade, they would have had to give up an insane package to go up and get him. And they're going to have plenty of competition if that even comes to fruition. So I think that the Patriots defense, to answer your question and circle back, is still going to be one of the better units in the league. I think they'll figure out a way to make the offense productive enough. Josh McDaniels has been one of the best offensive coordinators in the league over the last couple of years, and the team will be a winning team. I don't know if they're going to be 12, 13 wins like they were with Brady, but I think that there's a very good chance that they're going to win 9, 10 games as long as the defense stays relatively healthy and the quarterback play is at least decent. If it's terrible, then we might be looking at something else. If, say, Newton gets hurt and Stidham goes in there and he's so bad that he brings back flashbacks of Luke Falk, then sure, maybe the Patriots end up being a losing team. But I don't think that's going to happen. One reason, first off, the players that the Patriots lost last year, uh, going into this year, they can be replaced. Mm -hmm. And one reason why uh, I'm a big proponent talking about regression in defenses uh, but one reason why that doesn't apply quite as much to the Patriots uh, as with other teams is partially because, obviously, Bill Belichick, but also because oh, – well, th- th- it's also because Belichick, but it's specifically what he does is he uses so many players just for this one thing. You go out and you do this, and you worry about that and don't worry about anything else. You know, you set the edge, you contain this guy, you blitz. And he'll use players in these specific roles so much. And then you can get a Kyle Van Noy, uh, a Jamie Collins, who's not as productive anywhere else. And then they can go somewhere else and he can just find some other guy who can do that one thing just as well in plug and play. Um, one thing I will point out, though, is – the the what um, he said in tweet is about them being this like huge dominant um, all time defense. I will say, you know, last year those first like what was it six seven weeks or something, everyone was talking about them as among the best defenses ever, mm-hmm. and it was because they were playing just like trash team after trash <laughs> offense after trash offense, and then they started playing good offenses and they started getting carved up a little bit. Uh, they were still a really good defense. But, yeah, it, the people went way crazy with it at the beginning of the season because they were playing a bunch of really bad teams, um, and they were kind of feasting on that, getting all those pick sixes against the bad teams. So I think the uh, the view of the Patriots' defense from last year is a little skewed just because of the, the way they got off to the start and everyone talked about them, and they didn't quite put that same energy into them drifting back down to earth a little bit um so there's a little bit of meat in the, in the middle there uh i do i will have to say i've been all off season 
quite confidently saying that I believe the Bills will win the division. I think if Cam Newton stays healthy, that the Patriots will definitely win the division now. And I think that if even if you get a half a season of healthy Cam Newton, that they'll probably win the season now or win the division now. So I I do have to uh, advise that, but. Uh, I don't think you're going to see too much regression from the Patriots' defense, but I also don't think that the Patriots' defense last year was actually, like, you know, all-time elite, like people were talking about at the beginning of the season. Do you agree with me, though, Chris, that if Jarrett Stidham is able to beat out Cam Newton, then that means that Jarrett Stidham is better than a lot of people think he is? Yeah, sure, but, you know, if I can flap my arms and fly to the moon, then I'm better at flapping my arms and flying to the moon than a lot of people think I am. Um, if Cam Newton's healthy, he's Jared Stidham is not beating him out. We'll see about that. All I can tell you is that the people in New England really, really like Jared Stidham, and Cam Newton, healthy or not, has been a shell of himself the last couple of years. So this is going to be interesting. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot more competitive than people think. Yeah, I, I, I disagree with that because before Cam hurt his shoulder, he had like an eight-game stretch where it was the best of his career. Then he hurt his shoulder, and then he came back from that, and then he hurt his foot, and he played through the foot. I just I just think that his problems have been health-related the last couple of years. And now the, the thing here is I expect those problems to pop back up. I, there's, he might he could play all 16 games but he's not going to be healthy all 16 games so i expect those problems to pop back up but how far the scale tips it will determine how well he plays right but i'm saying we don't know how much cam has left or how much those injuries have taken out of him especially with all the punishment that he's taken so it's going to be interesting to see what happens here but like i said i do expect it to be much more competitive between those two guys than a lot of people seem to think and with that, we'll wrap up part one of the weekend mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure that you follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd be really grateful. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it helps us out a lot. So if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.